I'm Joe Woodard, and this is the Asia for Life podcast. Um, I feel like I'm only getting started with this whole podcasting thing. To be totally transparent, I still haven't gotten my podcast channel submitted to most of the main podcast directories, so um, it's still a work in progress, but it should be available wherever you listen to podcasts by the end of this month. Anyway, I think uh, this is a very useful way to create content for people who listen to podcasts, which is a lot of people now. Um, it's an easier way to connect with that segment of the population. So anyway, um, so I'm going to try to have some kind of article, either a full article or a decent summary based on my podcast notes to accompany every podcast episode. Uh, I'm not totally sure if this is going to work because it takes a lot of time, but I'm going to try it for a while and see see how it goes. Anyway, um, each week I'll be sharing at least one or two podcast episodes. Um, sometimes it I might only have time for one, but we'll, you know, we'll see how things go. Uh, but I'll focus mainly on one topic per week, and next week it will be on Planned Parenthood, and especially on Leanna Wen, the former director of the Planned Parenthood Federation of America. Uh, if you've kept up with pro-life news at all in the past year, you've probably heard her name. And there's been a lot of news about her recently since she was fired several weeks ago, very unexpectedly. But um, I want to talk about Dr. Wen's relationship with Planned Parenthood from a slightly different angle than you might have heard, uh, with more focus on her heritage as a Chinese immigrant to America, um, and also how I think she was a pretty decent and reasonable person overall, and possibly overqualified for the role she was in, despite her best efforts to be the model pro-abortion advocate. Um, obviously, I very strongly disagree with her positions, her philosophy, and everything, but I do have respect for her in, in certain ways, which I'll, I'll talk about next week. Anyway, um, she's also originally from Shanghai. And I'm going to talk about my own time in Shanghai because um, my encounter with Planned Parenthood in Shanghai majorly impacted me and motivated me to want to do pro-life work in East Asia. Uh, but that'll be next week. This week, I'm focusing on Xinjiang, which is China's northwesternmost province. Um, if you don't know much about Xinjiang, I just made this little list of fun facts for you. Uh, in my opinion, Xinjiang food is the best food in China. Sorry to all my Hong Kong friends, but I did not move to Hong Kong because of the food. Uh, I know this is totally a matter of personal taste, but Xinjiang cuisine is really amazing. Like, if there was a Xinjiang or Uyghur noodle shop in my neighborhood, I would be there pretty much every day. I just, I love the food. Um, but I don't know any Uyghurs. I don't know of any Uyghurs who live in Hong Kong. Like I've looked around, I've looked online, and I can't find. I can't find any. I. It might be that they're actually not allowed to live in Hong Kong, even though they live everywhere else in China. Um, so Xinjiang is the world's largest exporter of tomatoes. Uh, it was several years ago. I think it still is. Um, anyway, if you've had ketchup recently then at least some of it was probably from tomatoes from Xinjiang. Uh, weird, but fun fact. So um, a bunch of Chinese movies have done filming in Xinjiang, including Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. The Kite Runner was filmed in the area around Kashgar, near the border with Afghanistan. Uh, I think I have that right. At least a good part of it was. Anyway, um, parts of Xinjiang are further from an ocean than anywhere else on Earth. Like everywhere else in China, Xinjiang officially runs on Beijing Standard Time. This would actually be the same as if California were using the same time zone as Washington, D.C. 
Um, so whenever they talk about time, they mention time that they're going to have a meeting, whatever, they use um, the official time and also the unofficial local time, like in the same sentence every time, which is just something they have to do. Um, so Xinjiang is the size of Alaska, which is really big. Uh, also like Alaska, Xinjiang has a lot of oil. And also like Alaska, it is useful as a security buffer with Russia. Um, also like Alaska, just as America would never give up Alaska, um, China will definitely never give up Xinjiang, no matter what they have to do to keep it. That's the political reality. So um, something I uh, found out this week about Xinjiang that's very strange, I don't know if it's good or bad, it's just very strange, is that uh, Xinjiang hosts some of the competitions each year for the International Army Games. So, in case you've never heard of this, which I hadn't until this week, um, the International Army Games were launched by the Russian government to be the, quote, Olympics of Army Games. So, um, they have different competitions at the same time in a bunch of different countries. Um, I think there are 50 countries participating this year with games in 10 different countries, and they're all taking place this month, like right now. And Xinjiang hosts some of those games each year, and this is strange, I think, because besides the war games, they're also actually kind of making war on some of their own people in Xinjiang, especially the Uyghurs. So, the ways that the Uyghurs in Xinjiang are persecuted. The Uyghurs, which you probably know already, are um, Xinjiang's largest uh, ethnic group. Um, there's actually a lot of Han Chinese there now because the government has moved them there over the past few decades to dilute the Muslim population there. Um, anyway, so the government coerces Uyghurs to eat pork and drink alcohol. Uh, they coerce them to sometimes force them to wear common clothes. Like some women claim that they have been approached by plainclothes police holding scissors and their dresses were cut down to an appropriate length, quote unquote, on the streets. I could easily list like a dozen different ways that people are, are persecuted every day. Like, for instance, they have to stop at police checkpoints and show their ID whenever they walk outside to buy groceries or whatever. So like one trip to the grocery store, just walking on foot, can literally require several different ID checks. Then the women who are in the re-education centers, uh, they're given medication which stops their menstrual cycles. It's hard to know exactly why the government does this. It might be because they want to prevent pregnancy when they're raped by prison guards, but there could be any number of reasons. Um, there's also uh, reports of forced abortion, which is kind of like it would be it would actually be really surprising if if there were not forced abortions with everything else that's going on and the way the whole apparatus is set up. Another thing that happens is the children are taken away from their families and relatives in their schools when they're when their parents are put in detention um, and they are sent to, quote, child welfare guidance centers. So there's dozens of these huge centers that were built um, around the province of Xinjiang at the same time as their parents were being put into re-education camps. So the government created, basically, the government has created orphans, and so they had to create new orphanages. And um, I, I hope that most of these children, uh, most of the children will be reunited with their parents, but a lot of them won't be. Anyway, China is currently separating at least tens of thousands of families of Chinese citizens because they are Uyghur Muslims. Okay, so um, 
going to switch gears a little bit. Uh, for a lot of people in the West, they're used to hearing horror stories from past decades in China with uh, this idea that all of the really awful stuff happened in the past and things are better now. And I would say that generally that's true. Things are not so incredibly awful as they used to be. The international community has been helping China for decades and trying to help make things better for all the people in this country. And overall, uh, things are better. People are freer. Um, nobody's starving to death anymore. They don't rely on international food aid to deal with the crises that were caused by the government's central planning policies. People aren't punished, you know, just for having extra money when they work hard and become moderately successful. Uh, that doesn't happen so much anymore. Um, people are free more than at any time in the past several decades. And even like the Uyghurs in detention, you know, this is this is a giant humanitarian crisis created by the Chinese government. It's it's awful. It's one of the worst things in the world that's happening. Uyghurs in detention, they, they really aren't given much food. Um, and they're punished when they don't follow Han, the Han Chinese cultural norms. For example, they're punished by getting no food. Um, if they don't say thank you in Mandarin, or if they speak the Uyghur language at all. But it's still, it's not the same as the old Russian gulags. Uh, these are not the sort of concentration camps where the majority of people are gassed or intentionally starved to death. So I'm just saying all this to put this in context, both to understand how bad things really were in China's history and to understand how they're bad now in today's context. So um, we'll take this story from 1990 as an example of how, you know, things have been very bad in Xinjiang's history. Uh, in the town of Beren, I don't know if I'm saying it right, it's uh, B-A-R-E-N, it's near Kashgar in Xinjiang. There were a bunch of parents who were trying to resist the forced abortion policy. There was 250 women, they had their pregnancies forcibly aborted, and then hundreds of people went to the local Communist Party office to complain, uh, which, which I would have done, obviously, and I think a lot of people I know would have. But um, the response was a military massacre. The military came in and shot hundreds of people. They even brought in helicopter gunfire, so it was coming from the ground and from the air. You could call it a terrorist attack by the Chinese government against its own people. And the world knew that stuff like this happened. But everybody stayed quiet. And um, this, is, this is a different topic, but my guess is that people were staying quiet because China had cheap labor. So anyway, today um, there are still some forced abortions. It is, you know, a horrendous injustice. But forced abortion is no longer common in China as it was for decades. But there are certainly still coerced abortions and certainly among Uyghur women. Um, there's one woman... I have no idea how to say her name, but I'll just try. Uh, Golja Mogden was told that her brother, an imam, would not be put in prison if she got an abortion. She got the abortion. Her brother still went to prison. And then Golja was kept under house arrest for months afterwards. Um, and actually, you can't even say house arrest. is is so complicated. Um I guess China thinks it's too much trouble to deal with accusations of house arrest. So instead, they just keep people under constant surveillance wherever they go. They can leave their house, but they're always being watched. Um, so you can call it surveilled house arrest. And I link to uh, more information about surveilled house arrest, etc. in Xinjiang. So there, there might not be thousands of women getting forced abortions, 
Um, I don't know. There might be. I mean, there, there, there might have been during the past few years, there might have actually been thousands of women who got forced abortions um, inside of the detention centers. But anyway, there are at least some and many thousands are actually like right now getting forcibly drugged to ensure that they're not fertile when they're forcibly detained. You know, if anything like this were happening anywhere in the West, I'm 100% sure that the UN would respond in a clear, like, they would be aggressive. There would probably be declarations of war. Like if France or Canada or America or Spain or even like a more authoritarian country like Russia or Turkey, like if most countries in the world were doing this stuff at this scale, there would be international outcry, sanctions, probably war. But people in charge in the world right now have, I think, pretty low moral expectations of China. Uh, I can't think of any other reason why the world leaders are avoiding the subject. They just don't think that China matters or they just don't have any hope that China will actually become, you know, decent towards its own people. I don't know. Anyway, I also haven't found a lot of Christian leaders who are speaking out about this. Um, and honestly, I don't know what exactly anybody can do practically. Um, it's not like you can plan a mission trip to go there or send money or something, but I hope I hope we start to talk about it. Um, anyway, there's a guy, um, Jason Jones. He's a big name in the pro-life community. He's brought up the situation of the Uyghurs in, in different contexts, and uh, he has tried to do something. You can read some of his articles on the stream um, there's one article, China's genocide starts in the womb, and another, um, close the real concentration camps in China. So the second article, he talks about some of the hypocrisy of American leftists who refer to concentration camps at America's southern border, where immigration officers treat people at least as humanely as immigration officials in any other country would under the same circumstances where they're actually protecting people from human trafficking, the same American leftists ignore the actual concentration camps in China. And um, it's so frustrating to see them dominate the global conversation with their latest political issue, which they it really seems like they have little or no intention of solving. And then they steal people's attention away from the really urgent problems in the world. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm glad someone was willing to point that out. Thank you for writing that, Jason Jones. He's also a, a filmmaker. Yeah, just, just look him up on Google or YouTube and, and find films by Jason Jones. He's a really great producer and um, human rights advocate. So, um, okay, if you want to know what a real concentration camp looks like, you can go to North Korea or you can go to Xinjiang. I don't suggest doing that. It's, it's pretty hard to go, but, you know, if you can... You'll, um, you wouldn't be able to go to these places anyway because they are actually concentration camps and you're not actually allowed to <laughs> get anywhere near to where there are real concentration camps. Um, so this is what happens. Brainwashing, beatings, torture, rape, involuntary medication, forced abortions, forced sterilizations, and even summary executions. The thing about what happens, this is policy. This is not like, you know, some irresponsible, low-level official breaking the rules, uh, you know, having a bad day and doing something crazy. Um, except for rape. I, 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 I doubt that rape is actually a policy of the Chinese government. But, um, but it does happen frequently, and I, and I don't think they really care a lot about it. 
Anyway, the whole list of things I just mentioned, the rest of them besides rape, they are all the job of the detention officers. This is what they're paid to do like every day. So please don't try to compare what people are suffering in Xinjiang with any of the injustices people suffer at the hands of any government in the West or basically anywhere in the world. It's not even close to the same. Okay. If you, um, if you want to continue to follow what's happening in Xinjiang, uh, the best resource uh, that I've been following, I think, is a blog by Darren Byler. It's called The Art of Life in Chinese Central Asia, which is at livingotherwise.com. Go to the blog there. Um, Darren Byler has done a lot of important research to help the world, especially the English-speaking world, to understand the plight of the Uyghurs. And yeah, it's a good place to start to learn more about what's really going on there. It's just so much, so much research. And he's a he's a good writer. I think he already has a PhD. I, I guess he's Dr. Darren Byler now. Anyway, yeah, he just talks about every aspect of life there and how hard the Chinese government is working to keep the whole world silent and confused about their treatment of the Uyghur Chinese population. So you can go there at livingotherwise.com. Okay, well, that's it for today, um, and see you next week when we'll talk about Dr. Liana Wen at the Planned Parenthood Federation of America and also the International Planned Parenthood Federation and um, their work in China. My only other request in closing uh, is that you pray for Xinjiang and for all the people living there, for all the people who are affected in some way by China's policies towards the Uyghurs. Uh, there's a lot more I could say about the situation and about why the Chinese government thinks this is all a good idea, because um, obviously they have you know their own side of the story to share too, which is not which is not entirely inexcusable. But um, anyway, uh, you can find more research and commentary elsewhere, um, because it's it is a it is a really big complicated issue, uh, and it should be dominating global headlines. It's sad that it's not, but anyway, um, we can pray. So one passage from scripture that I've often used to pray for Xinjiang is from Isaiah 43, especially verse 18. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. That's my prayer, that whatever happens in the region, that God will ultimately do something great and that many will praise his name.